Hi, everybody. Welcome back to episode 45 of the Independent Intel Podcast. My It's your regular host, Kimbui Bomani, and I'm here with my man Jordan Eisen of FOV Sports, here to kind of recap the fantasy football season that ended really a month or so ago in 2021 to kind of set the stage on who broke out, who was underwhelming, and then kind of dive into what to look for in the 2022 NFL fantasy season. Um, This is during the draft process. As always, we've kind of been abreast on that. We're going to have podcasts breaking the end of the draft process at the NFL, combines and whatnot down the line. But Jordan, um, great to have you out here. I know both busy people. It's going to be a little casual episode, but uh, kind of talk about how your fantasy season was for yourself and what really stood out to you and whatnot um, this past season. Yeah, thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, and I think the 2022 season was really fun. Uh, after 2021 and 2020, when COVID kind of got in the way a lot, of course, down the stretch, COVID was once again another factor. But for the most part, there were a lot of interesting players that did a lot of interesting things. Um, and the I feel like the landscape changed a lot. Like if you look at the top of the... Um, the top of the drafts in 2021 versus what ADP has in 2022, it does not look the same. Um, We had some rookie breakouts as well. And just overall, a lot of things changed. And I always like seeing that and like reflecting on what we could have done better and how these guys broke out and what we can take away from that. And that's what we're going to be talking about partially at least today. So um, yeah. Yeah, man, that really is what we're going to go in depth on. Kind of want to recap 2021 as a whole. Uh, Coming into the year, there was a lot of um, lower rankings on a lot of guys that broke out the Cooper Cups, the Jamar Chases and whatnot. I think we all had high expectations of the running backs doing well because I saw a ton of sites really telling individuals to pick running backs first. And it really became, as time went on, a receiver-based draft with a ton of pass catchers having breakout moments and even some tight ends to a degree. So, Really want to touch base on our respective fantasy football teams in general this patch. And I'm going to let you go, Jordan, first, because you're the expert, the analyst on fantasy football. So I'm sure you did a variety of leagues, had a variety of teams. How was your fantasy season uh, in its totality looking back on 2021? I mean, I had like four leagues, I think. And honestly, I made the playoffs in like two or three I don't remember. I we talked about this before we hit record. I'm in like full baseball mode right now, but um, I so some of this stuff is kind of in the back of my mind. But I believe I made it to the finals in one league, in the semifinals in another. Um, but I I didn't win any this year. Um, but I will say that I have this one dynasty league that I love to talk about. Um, I've got Lamar Jackson, who like he didn't help me much this year, but um, will be an asset going forward. Um, Joe Mixon, Jonathan Taylor, Devontae Adams, Michael Pittman, and like Cole Komet or something. Um, but it's a really nice league. And unfortunately, I went like, I, I forget what my record was. It was like seven and seven in the regular season. Like it should have been so much better. It just happened to break that I didn't really win much. But that team was really fun to follow. Um, and then... I've got some other teams. They were just solid. Your typical like fourth place team, nothing too special there, but I had Joe Mixon on all four of my rosters. Um, So that was really fun as he was scoring all those touchdowns, but he um, down the stretch and in the fantasy finals, once Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase really took over the Bengals offense, that kind of killed my fantasy season. So um, I wasn't able to really make it too deep into the playoffs, but I definitely got to the playoffs in most of my leagues and largely thanks to Joe Mixon. Yeah. Having Joe Mixon in all of your leagues for sure had his benefits as Mixon finished top five in rushing this past season. For me, I just did one, one league. And I think due to the success I had in my league this year, I'm thinking about maybe doing two. I'm still doing the standard league, of course. And then I may do a PPR. I'm really kind of gauging my interest on that, but for my standard league, um, I won the championship, won my league, uh, and a lot of that had to do with taking Cooper Cup in the fourth round and Mark Andrews in the third. They were really slept on coming into the year, and um, I had Cooper Cup last season in my standard league, and he didn't play particularly well, so kind of rolled the dice on Stafford coming on to the Rams and how I felt like him 
and Cup will have a rapport to, for him to potentially have a breakout season. He wound up and won the Triple Crown and averaged 17 fantasy points per game. Uh, Mark Andrews, I just really banked on the Lamar Jackson and Andrews connection throughout their careers. I know Lamar loves throwing to the middle of the field, so I feel like Mark could have a chance to be a top three tight end um, this past season behind the likes of Kittle and Kelsey. And what happened was when Lamar got hurt, Andrews' stock rose even more. And he wound up and was TE1 this year, led tight ends in yards and touchdowns. Um, and then I made really the big gamble. I took Mahomes in the first round, and this was when a lot of people in my league took running backs consecutively consecutively and Mahomes is, that, um, is this a super flex or did you just take Mahomes <laughs> in the first first round uh okay. took Mahomes in the first round it was it was standard draft something like that wow. uh, that yeah that's bold it was really bold and uh it paid off towards the end because you know Mahomes kind of had that lull in the middle of the season he wound up and finished fourth in passing touchdowns and passing yards and then this is the craziest right here Jordan uh I picked up Jamar Chase on the waiver wire in week five. Like he was just on the wire and I scooped him up really middle of the season and he wound up a page huge dividends to end the year. So really wide receiver lad and really tight end landed. That really helped me go undefeated throughout the year. Um, and I was kind of in a league where we drafted before the preseason. And so that kind of killed a lot of teams in a specific area to say the least. But uh, I really think due to my success next year, I'm probably going to draft after the preseason and probably join another league, but I really invested super heavily in receivers, took Diggs, took Cup, took Andrews, took Cooper, the receiving, the pass catching threats, and kind of valued them more than the backs. And then with the running back situation, I really rode the Rams running back um, circuit in terms of Daryl Anderson and Sonny Michelle back and forth, back and forth throughout the year. And that pays huge dividends as well. Yeah, you talked about um, picking up Jamar Chase like in the middle of the season. I understand if you drafted before preseason and he was dropped like ahead of week one when there were so many negative reports because he he was going down draft boards a lot. But then he came out in week one with 100 yards and a touchdown and then week two, 54 yards and a touchdown, then week three, 65 yards and two touchdowns and then week four, 77 yards. So honestly, getting him as a free agent after that stretch is absolutely insane. Um in that, I guess, good on you. You probably spent all your fab, I would imagine. Um, and it was well worth it. So nice, nice job. Yeah, for sure. Really the pickup of the year. So I, I pra- praise myself for really staying on the wire and I'm um, taking advantage of that. So um, moving on from reflecting on our seasons to the most disappointing fantasy football prospects in totality. Um, I got three on the board and we're going to go really step by step with each of them. Uh, Russell Wilson finished as QB 16 this year. He failed to throw for over 4,000 yards. He just only had 25 touchdown passes in 14 games. We know he had the finger injury that allowed him to miss three games in the middle of the year. But prior to him getting hurt, and then when he came back, he just wasn't the same. Um, And really in his totality in a standard league perspective, um, he had the same amount of points per game as Cooper Cup, which was 17.3. I mean, he started off the year strong as heck. 27 to 23 fantasy points respectively in week one and week two he had the four touchdown passing bonanza against the Colts and then he threw for almost I think 400 yards a week two against the Titans but after that he only had four outputs of 20 plus fantasy points the rest of the season uh were you just as disappointed in Russell Wilson as I was this year and um what do you think amounted to that besides obviously the injuries in the middle of the year uh, yes, I am as disappointed in Russell Wilson as you are. I thought he was definitely going to be a top 10 quarterback, probably closer to like top seven, maybe. Um, and we have seen recently, like he has not been able to be a top three QB in quite a while, but I do think that his horrid 2021 was because of injury. Like he's on like before the season, without a question, he was on a hall of fame track. It was like, two years ago that it was a trendy thing to say Russell Wilson's the best quarterback in the league over Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. Like that was recent. Like when he had, even after they won all their Super Bowls and the Legion of Boom was kind of disbanded, it was still like a trendy thing to say, like Russell Wilson is the best in the league right now. Uh, And that was like very recent, like 2019, 2018 ish. Um, So like, that's not that long ago even though he did slow down, it was pretty obvious. He's not really a top three guy anymore. 
he still was like certainly on a Hall of Fame track. And he's not even that old. He's like, what's it, like 31? Um, he's just not that. He's 33, actually. Sorry. But um, he's on a Hall of Fame track, or at least was. And perhaps everything started going downhill starting in 2021. But he was fine in the first half. Like, he wasn't great. But, I mean that offense is really messy. Um, so yeah, I still have confidence in him. He started the season pretty nicely. Um, I'm trying to pull up his game log right now, but once the injury happened, it was very clear that like things started going downhill from there. So I have pretty decent confidence that it was just a weird stretch where his thumb hurt. And even towards the end of the season in week 16, in 17, he threw seven combined touchdowns. Um, the yards were a little lackluster, but they crushed um, they crushed Detroit 51-29, and then they beat the Cardinals, who were a playoff team, 38-30. So a lot of things were going wrong with the Cardinals that must be mentioned. But, I mean, you saw him getting healthier. I think he could be a huge value in fantasy drafts. Like, he's going to be a late-round pick as quarterback, and I would be – fine with him as my starter um so it's a little his stats look bad but just remember that like this guy is probably still on a hall of fame pace as long as what we saw in the second half of 2021 was not like is not being sustained throughout the rest of his career because i i think it's a fluke and he's still a great quarterback yeah, I agree. Um, I, I did think his arc was like Roethlisberger-esque, I think a few years ago, where he had the early season, early career success, rather, in his, you know, rookie, second, third-year campaign behind a solid defense, and then he was great at managing the game and making the big plays when necessary, and then as the offense was built around him, he showcased his full passing arsenal. I do feel like Wilson and the Seahawks' offense success coincides when they're balanced. And I thought the running game was really never able to get off the ground until late in the year when Rashad Penny broke out. And that's when you saw Wilson kind of come into his own because he didn't have to drop back and throw the ball 30 to 35 times behind an offensive line that still isn't that good, which is crazy to say five to six years later. That's always been their problem. Um, I do agree with what you're saying. He will be a huge value in fantasy drafts moving forward because everybody's going to kind of remember how he played throughout the year and Really, your, your ADP, like you said, it's really based upon how you finished last season. And so if you're the star-studded talent like a Cooper Cup or Jamar Chase, you're probably going in the first two rounds easy. And if you kind of tailed off or had a mediocre year, you'd be more of a fourth, fifth, or maybe even the third-round value. And so I think that's what Wilson will be. And you know, who knows? If they keep Rashard Penny and he's able to stay healthy and they're able to continue to build up this offensive line, maybe they can be a top-10 offense next year. And I'll probably play in huge part to Wilson being supported with a balanced offensive attack. And he's able to get those fantasy productive points in his own right. Yeah. Um, Penny, uh, yeah. Penny would help for sure. Um, if he's able to sustain what he did at the end of the season. But I also just think like Russell Wilson, ADP data is not really available quite yet, or at least like full data. So it's hard to say for certain, but I I'd imagine Russell Wilson's going to go in like the 12th, 11th like like a bench player round like not a high level wide receiver running back like after pick 100 and I think I would be willing to take him there um like it, it doesn't even matter if that offense isn't great anymore like he's just a really good quarterback he has two amazing wide receivers not much else matters at that value um, I, I wouldn't take him as a top seven quarterback like I was in years past, but I mean, I don't think you have to. So regardless of how the offense performs, I think that he's going to be able to really um, flourish at his value. Like he might not be what we thought he could be. Um, and maybe he is in the latter part of his career, but I think he'll be worth the value for sure. An extreme value, especially in a league where Tom Brady retired um, and who knows where Aaron Rodgers will go. And so you're going to have these young quarterbacks coming in in a quarterback class in this upcoming draft. It's very weak. You got second year guys that potentially could break out. We're going to talk about those guys later. Um, so 
Wilson's value will still somewhat be there. It'll be lower, but it'll be there because of the uncertainties around the NFL at other teams in their respective quarterback positions. Um, Allen Robinson was my other disappointing fantasy football prospect. He finished wide receiver 77. He averaged just 4.1 fantasy points per game. And a lot of it just wasn't his fault. I mean, it was a quarterback carousel in Chicago where they literally just did not target him the ball enough like they did in years past. He didn't surpass a standard score to above eight points all year. And in a football sense, he was only targeted double digit times just once in the 12 games that he played. And that was week one against the Rams. Were you equally as disappointed in Robinson's productivity? And do you feel a change of scenery can maximize his full potential in the fantasy world? Yeah, he was definitely the bust of the year. There's no question about that. But I do think that his contract is going to say a lot. It's It was really hard to tell. He was injured for sure for a lot of the year, but he was he didn't have a single good game. Um, and maybe he was injured from the start. Maybe he just didn't want to play for the Bears. Who would blame him? But it really seemed just strange that such a formerly at least good player did not have a single good game. Um, so I think his contract is going to say a lot. If he... Signs like an 80 year, $80 million contract over like four years or like 70 million over three. Like I'd be in that, that NFL team is showing that they believe in him, even though this season was absolutely atrocious. So it depends on landing spot. It depends about the contract, but like I could see him going to like, let's see, like the Cardinals, the Cardinals sign him. 70 million over three years, I'd be in. Um, I, I don't know how in, and I don't know how high the ADP would be because he was such a unique player in 2021. But I would be hopeful in that case because if he gets a contract, then clearly an NFL team is not concerned about whatever was going on in 2021. It, it just seemed like a fluke. He was also injured from week 10 on. So like, can't even cite that and that's when Justin Fields really started playing well so you he didn't have a good quarterback for like any of the year however with that said he has been able to come overcome not having a quarterback literally every single other season of his career so it might it is a little concerning it's actually extremely concerning that he wasn't able to overcome that in 2021 but I mean you watched a Bears game it was terrible um and not Allen robinson's fault but it is also concerning that he wasn't able to overcome it as well yeah it's hard to overcome bad quarterback play when you're targeted in the double digit realm just once all year and you talked about how he got injured week 10 and he was really never the same but to continue to come out there and there's a number one receiver and we all know in the nfl on a variety of teams when you're the top guy uh, coaching staffs find creative ways to get you the football, whether it's lined you up in the mm-hmm. slot, at the X, at the Y, a, even the backfield in the Cordero Patterson sense. And so for him to get out targeted by Darnell Mooney time and time again, week after week, is a little bit concerning. Um, for you, you said it, you're going to gauge how you draft him by his contract. For me, it's just going to come down to the quarterback. Uh, I do feel that there's no chance he comes back to Chicago. I think that bridge is burned, even with the new coaching staff and the potential of Justin Fields blossoming into something more in year two. But if he goes to a squad like New England, if he goes to a team like Arizona, like you said, uh, maybe in a far-fetched realm, he goes to a squad like uh, just (laughs) anybody that has a functional quarterback that can make throws on the boundary consistently. I like his opportunity. And so I think he's going to choose a, area where not only has a chance to win, but he has consistent quarterback play because he hasn't played with a consistent quarterback throughout his whole career. He's had Blake Bortles, he's had Mitchell Trubisky, and he's had young Justin Fields. So I think Robinson's not going to just chase the bag. He's going to chase the QB. And if he gets with a functional QB that shows the ability to maximize his potential all across the route tree, I think people will value him much more because I think everybody hyped him up last year due to the hype of Justin Fields. But Justin Fields was never utilized to his fullest potential under the Magnaggy offensive system, and so it just never really panned out. So I think that's what it's going to come down to next season, in my opinion. Yeah, the interesting question is like, okay, if he goes to the Niners or the Cardinals or the Chiefs or whatever, then like, okay, that's an encouraging sign. 
But like, what if he goes to the Eagles or like Washington or Miami? Um, there are several teams that like might be trying to start building a winning roster, but like have a highly questioned quarterback, the Lions. Um, like I could see him going to any of those teams. He's shown before that clearly he doesn't care about the quarterback he plays with as long as he's getting money. He chose, I, he was drafted by Jacksonville, didn't choose to be with Blake Bortles, but then he chose to stick with the bears for a while. He chose to go to the bears as well while they had like, it was even before Nick Foles. I think it might've been like Mike Clennon. I like he chose to go into that situation. So I mean, I, I don't think it's safe to say where he's going to go. I don't even know if it's really worth having the conversation because he could go so many different places. But if he goes to a team like I, I think the Dolphins is a good like medium. If he goes there, that could be really interesting. I, I think his ADP would probably be at about 100 overall and not in uh, he's not you would you wouldn't want to take him at 100 overall in every league. But some leagues, if you're looking for upside, if you have him as a bench receiver, I think that's worth a shot for sure. Um, so something like that could be interesting. Dolphins is a good name you put out there. I, I just feel like with Rob, I think maybe I'm just going out on a limb, speaking on a hypothetical. I think the reactions he's had on his podcast, the tweets that he's put out, it really showcases a man that is clearly annoyed with not being fully maximized in the offensive system due to coaching and bad quarterback play. So I think with him controlling his own free agency this season, I think he's going to choose stability at the QB helm because he knows that will allow him to showcase his true potential. Because I know he's tired. He's a professional. I think he's tired of hearing Robinson is one of the better receivers in the league that just hasn't had competent quarterback play. Now he wants to showcase that, I think, numerically in the stat sheet. And to do that, you got to have a stable QB1. Um, last but not least, uh, to cap off the disappointing fantasy football prospects, James Robinson, who did finish as RB24. So he did finish in the RB25 round, but his fantasy points per game dropped from 14.4 last year to 10.2, despite Travis Etienne not being in the starting lineup all year. We all thought that was going to be the reason why he wasn't going to be able to fulfill his running back ceiling. Then we understood him and Urban Meyer clash throughout the year that didn't make things any better um he did at least eclipse the 16 points per game mark six times but it was such a topsy-turvy year that truly materialized um well ended disappointingly with him tearing his achilles it was clear jordan that when he got double digit touches he performed well in fantasy he just never got consistent double digit touches and now after he ended his year with a torn achilles um how do you reflect on his year in the totality and can he be able to recover and fulfill his fantasy ceiling once again in his career yeah this happens actually pretty often like this type of thing where there's a breakout rookie running back and then maybe the coaching regime changes that's the case with robinson or just like they draft someone new um and that's happened very often um just sometimes especially when there's not much of an investment there like financially or in terms of draft value like sometimes teams even if their running back just does a good job they don't really reward it like you would think they would um so i think it's always worth being cautious um of course we that shouldn't be the only thing we think of but what's coming to mind right now is like uh, let's say the 49ers they're famous for always turning away from their running backs Elijah Mitchell, I'd imagine, is going to go pretty highly in 2022 drafts. But I'm not necessarily sure that he's going to be the starter next year because who knows? They barely invested anything in him. He was a sixth-round pick. He might be not the starter and just like they might turn to someone else or not feed him as much as they would think, especially if Trey Lance becomes the quarterback. Then everything changes and maybe – Jamichael Hasty or whoever, Jeff Wilson, works better with Trey Lance than Elijah Mitchell does. And since they didn't invest anything in him and he's not necessarily elite, even though he had a really nice season, they could turn away from him. I think another one that's a little more bold in saying is a similar thing might happen with Cam Akers. Like he was a second round pick. He had a really good season, or at least end to the season in 2020. 
Then in 2021, I mean, we know what happened, and he didn't look that good in the playoffs. Um, so maybe they'll turn to someone else, or who knows? Because, I mean, Matthew Stafford wasn't the quarterback when Cam Akers was drafted, so a lot of things have changed there. He might not necessarily be the workhorse that some people might be projecting him to be. So there's a lot of things that can change at running back. And you always have to think about like how safe the volume is Um, because for someone like, I don't know, like Dalvin cook, you know, he's getting the volume because he is truly talented. Cam Akers. I'm not sure about Elijah Mitchell. I'm not sure about, I wasn't sure about James Robinson either. So I think that it really pays off even though running backs are pretty replaceable, there is still definitely a huge reason to pay up for like a truly talented one because talent matters a lot more at the running back position in the NFL than it does in fantasy. So even though it doesn't matter necessarily too much in fantasy, it definitely should be accounted for due to these extenuating circumstances. Cause like, talent is rewarded in the NFL and that helps you in fantasy. So I think that made sense, Um, but it's a, it's definitely still something that uh, we can learn from James Robinson about. The only issue I have with your perspective on why Robinson just didn't pan out because of the historical relevancy of running backs sometimes have that great rookie season and then they don't replicate that which makes them very expendable in their sophomore campaigns is ETN never got a chance to push Robinson out of the lineup. Like he got drafted. He looked okay in the preseason. Then he got hurt in the preseason and never played a single game. And so urban Meyer just looked like he showcased his Ohio state loyalty to Carlos Hyde over the better running back James Robinson. And he continued to play him and give him more reps And when Robinson actually got the utmost elevated touches that he similarly got the year prior, he showcased fantasy and real life relevancy in terms of productivity. So I just kind of equate his season to Rob to Allen Robinson, where they just didn't get enough opportunities to fulfill their ceiling. Um, And I just felt like Robinson, what he was able to showcase in the ground game behind a Jacksonville offensive line that isn't the greatest. He should have got more touches, which is why, the times where he did get those touches, he performed well, which allowed him to finish really in the RB25 realm. So I, I'm going to have to slightly disagree because your perspective makes sense because Akers got injured, obviously. So he was never able to fulfill his rookie season in terms of match it up. And then he had guys come and play well. Robinson did get hurt towards the end of the year, but he showcased throughout the season when he got a bell cow opportunity, he played very well. He just never got those consistently because Urban Meyer just didn't like him. I heard it was fumbles, but then he kind of fumbled up. He did fumble, but it was clear despite the fumbles, he was the best running back on the roster. Um, Sidebar, Jacksonville should have never took ETN in the first round. Robinson was their bell cow back. Um, I'm I'm at least saying just give Robinson another year until you decide to flip the page on him as RB1. They could have utilized that draft pick to get a defender, to get a receiver because their receiving core struggled. So that's just another type for another day. But um, again, capital off. I just feel like Robinson was unproductive because he just had a beef with his coach who didn't view him as that bell cow back that the other coaching staff did last season, which kind of does align with your perspective of coaching staffs just were different. And somebody's vision just didn't align with what he provided on the football team. Yep, I agree with that as well. But um, I do think that you still have to just be cautious in terms of how talented a running back actually is when you're drafting them. It's not all about like depth charts and how um, things line up on that team. That's real as well. Talent does go a long way. If you just naturally got it, it makes you completely playable every single weekend, every single Sunday. Um, Most underrated um, three players that are going to kind of be under that umbrella. Uh, Antonio Gibson's the first one. He was the most consistent player on the Washington football team roster in fantasy. He finished his RB10. He eclipsed 1,000 yards rushing for his career for the first time on 258 carries. So unlike James Robinson, he got elevated opportunities to showcase his rushing ability, and it panned out. Um, Had double-digit fantasy outputs nine times this past season. How surprised were you that Gibson was able to 
better his rookie season? And what did you take away from it that can be translatable next year in 2022? I actually think he was like kind of bad in 2021. Like, I guess he got volume, but like, if having him on your team was not pleasant and like, it was just so often that he would get like 15 carries and get like 60 yards and not do anything impressive. Um, I do definitely think there's room for improvement um, in his ADP is going to be very telling as well as to if I'm going to draft him or not. But um, yeah, he got a bunch of carries and just, I'm looking at his game log. It's so uninspiring. He eclipsed a hundred yards twice. One was in week 18. So like, who cares? And then the other, he had 29 carries. So like, it, it was just unimpressive. It, the reason that he didn't eclipse 100 yards was not for bad reason. Like, he had volume. He had over 20 carries numerous times. Um, he just wasn't really effective with them. It, it, he also had a fumbling issue in the middle of the season that seemed really inconsistent, and he would be taken out of the game, like, indefinitely um there was just a confluence of things going on and i actually think it was a pretty bad season to be honest yeah i'm not gonna lie when i put up his stats i was shocked that he finished rb10 kind of like alvin kamara in the sense of they didn't look like they had good years but then if you pull up the fantasy statistics and look at it in its totality they did but i agree having him on um your roster wasn't pleasant because he was always in and out the running back rotations with other guys on the roster. And then when he did play, he didn't seem the most productive. Now I will say towards the end of the year, he was clearly the most consistent player on that offense for the Washington football team. Now the Washington commanders, but um, I, I think it really just comes down to this is new for him. He was a wide receiver in college. I think his whole college career. So this is like his second year of playing the running back position full time. And you could tell like, there were times where he looked like a functional running back. Then there was other times he didn't. Also doesn't help that with Trevor Heineke, his quarterback play was very up and down. So he was never really able to be utilized productively outside of the backfield as a pass catcher. And um, I think what saves him, which helps him be RB10, is his productivity through the air. Albeit what I just said, he conti- continuously got catches. He continuously got chances to make plays after the catch. So I guess that helps. But it was one of those years where the stats just don't tell the whole story because I agree with you. It just didn't feel as productive as these other two guys that I also have in the underrated fantasy football spectrum. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was kind of a rough season. And I also kind of think that his rookie season, he looked like a better rusher, um, which seems counterintuitive. He was also dealing with injuries like every single week he was listed as questionable. So there definitely could be something there um, in terms of just how he felt, <laughs> but I don't know. It, it, it was pretty rough. Um, and I, I'm really interested to see where his ADP lands because I do yeah. like him. He was, I, I really liked him heading into 2021. Um, so that definitely could be a target if it goes too low, but, We'll just have to see, I guess. A lot of people like heading into 2021. And I mean, finishing RB10 kind of legitimizes their expectations for him. But injuries and fumbles did hurt him. And I just feel like long term, he may just be a rotational back. More so of a Shane Vereen type guy as we head into the latter parts of his career where you bring him in on pass catching downs just to showcase that versatility out the backfield to the point where I wouldn't be shocked if Washington in the first three rounds of the draft take a a running back that's more suited to run between the tackles consistently every Sunday. Um, up next, Amon Ross St. Brown exploded the final six weeks of the season to raise his fantasy stock into the top 25 fantasy wide receiver category to end the year. Took advantage of six consecutive weeks of double-digit targets. By having at least eight snags in all six matchups, he had a 27.4 total point output, more than likely won a lot of fantasy uh, title games around the world. The second to last week, I think it was against Seattle, he wanted to finish the year with 912 yards receiving and five scores with the Lions receiving room that was bare, oh, bare throughout the year when it wasn't TJ Hawkinson. So Amon Ra exploding, really that 
last month of the year helped a lot of people win fantasy leagues. How surprised were you that he was able to be that productive and reliable fantasy wide receiver for a lot of teams making postseason runs? Yeah, I was pretty shocked. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't help that his brother is Equinemius St. Brown, who's like famously terrible. Um, and it didn't really seem sustainable at the beginning of this stretch. It, it was a really weird thing. Like he, his first half of the season, like, yeah, he got a bunch of catches and might've been really useful, not really useful, might've been moderately useful in like full point deep PPR leagues as like a flex option, but not much else than that. And then all of a sudden in week 13, he had 10 catches for 86 yards. And it was like, huh, interesting. Keep him on, keep him on the radar for waivers, but probably nothing here. And then he did it again in week 14. And then he did it again and again and again and again. And it just kept on happening. It, it was so strange and really hard to like understand why it was happening. But I think at this point, after that stretch, he's probably just a good wide receiver. Like, it didn't really seem like that was the case early on, but I mean, this breakout was certainly real. So he was also the number one fantasy, the number one uh, wide receiver in fantasy points in the fantasy playoffs um, ahead of Jamar Chase, Devonte Adams, and Cooper Cup. So yeah, he was huge. He, it, it was legit too, I think. So um I do think that ADP might get carried away. I don't agree that he's underrated because he was talked about so much at the end of the year. Um, So I actually kind of think he'll be overrated, which is a little counterintuitive, but um, I think he's going to go too high and I won't really draft him anywhere because I still have some doubts about how skilled he actually is. Obviously the Lions offense isn't that great. So a lot of stuff compounds and, if he's going in the fourth round, third round, I'm not touching him. Yeah, man. Uh, with Amon Ra, it's crazy because coming out of high school <clears throat> in his recruiting class, he was the number one receiver in the nation. So to see him play very well at the professional level isn't completely shocking because when he came out of high school, that was his kind of trajectory as a potential pro, as he could be a pro caliber receiver at the next level um but i agree like he really benefited a lot from just being the best receiver in his room because there wasn't a lot of weapons that detroit had i mean hawkinson was supposed to be that guy this season and he was very inconsistent so golf inevitably just relied on amon Ra to kind of be his go-to guy on first second and third downs when they passed and it worked out for him immensely i do think moving forward like you said ADP-wise, it probably will get carried away. So the only hope that it may be sustainable and like a moderate category or territories if Detroit goes out in the NFL draft or goes on free agency and gets better wide receivers that will allow Amara to probably be a slot because I think he's a slot receiver long-term yeah. for a career standpoint. So because if he continues even, to have to be your – yeah. Even at the end of the year when he was going crazy, he was still a slot receiver. It's not like he was splitting out wide and like running – insane routes or like just being huge and possessing things like it just like being a possession wide receiver he was still a slot guy he was just extremely effective at it and had a lot of catches so i do think that someone like alan robinson could definitely land in detroit and effectively make both him and saint brown more interesting of course i mean i think getting a guy like a rob or Detroit potentially maybe in the second round getting a, in essence, a wide receiver that can be a wide and has speed and possession like ability to take the top off a of defense or keep a defense honest will allow Amara to continue to prosper in fantasy. But if they don't address anything and he's their number one moving forward, I do not think he'll be able to replicate this fantasy level of success. Um, last but not least, Jalen Hurts, probably one of the more underrated uh, fantasy quarterbacks. He was QB nine in fantasy really thanks to his dual threat ability. He threw for 3,000 yards. He ran for almost 800 in 15 games as a full-time starter, 26 total touchdowns as well. He had seven consecutive weeks where he registered at least 20 fantasy points in a matchup within standard leagues. He had a three-week stretch against Detroit, the Chargers, and Denver, where the running game was kind of carrying the offense, so he wasn't able to eclipse that 20-part mark. But his best game, probably fantasy-wise of the year, 
was his 30-point breakout performance against the Saints that ultimately pushed the Eagles into the playoff picture that they eventually stayed within when they made the playoffs. You were really high on Hurts last offseason. You said he had a chance to be a top-10 fantasy quarterback, and he was that. And you were really driving home around the fact that he had the legs and improving passing ability to match that benchmark that you put on him. Um, as you reflect on Jalen Hurts' this season as a whole, because it was really topsy-turvy, um, do you feel like the ranking that he had truly identified his productivity in fantasy? And is it sustainable moving forward in years to come? It's actually funny that you bring up that I was high on Jalen Hurts because I was in draft season. And then he came out in those first like five weeks, six weeks and put up over 20 points. And everyone was like, oh, my God, he's so consistent. And even if he's a bad quarterback, he's still going to be a good fantasy quarterback. And I just was like, nope, quarterback. 16 like I was out um but down the stretch he had some really nice games and some of them don't show up in terms of fantasy points like that he had 11 fantasy points against Detroit but he played well when they blew them out 44 to 6 um down the stretch honestly once he became a less consistent fantasy player he'd be like juxtaposing that he became a better NFL player so he really figured things out and I'd be interested next season, especially if they bring in another wide receiver, which I think they need to do. Devonte Smith is really good, but he needs to be with someone else for sure. Um, but yeah, his rushing numbers are great. He, I think he's a pretty solid thrower. Um, not, he's not Lamar. He's not Kyler, but He's pretty solid um, and I think also has pretty high upside um, heading into 2022 because I think he could just be a really good player. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you brought up Kyler and Lamar. I think he's a better thrower than Lamar, but he's not as athletic as Lamar and he's not a better thrower than Kyler and obviously not as athletic and fast as Kyler. Um, What hurts I think what really helped him was the rushing ability. And obviously when Sirianni dialed back on really putting the ball in Hurts' hands to throw all the time, that's when the team's overall success level offensively went up exponentially because it became a three-headed rushing attack led by Hurts, Miles Sanders, and um, a rotational third guy that they had in um, Boston Scott, things of that nature. They started featuring the tight end more, and that opened up passing opportunities for Devontae Smith down the field. Uh, It looks like Philadelphia – whether they keep Hurts or not, because they're still entertaining getting Deshaun Watson. I still think that's very unrealistic, at least for this season. So they might ride with Hurts for another year. It looks like with their three first-round picks, they're going to get another receiver. If they can get another guy opposite of Devontae Smith that's not Jalen Rager, that opens up the passing game even more schematically for Sirianni. And I think the thing about Hurts that's promising is he improves every year as a football player. And he's improved every year as a passer. Now, in the playoffs, it became clear that he needed things to be schemed up properly to be effective as a thrower in the pocket. So he's going to have to work on his anticipation and his accuracy, especially outside the numbers. But all things considered, I think he'll always be a rushing threat. Adding another weapon will even raise his fantasy stock even more. And he can wind up next season and maybe even be a top five fantasy quarterback if the offense is able to elevate itself with scheme players around him and he's able to improve overall as a passer. Yeah, I agree with basically everything that you said. Um, I would take him over Russell Wilson, I think. Um, I would take him over him or Joe Burrow's an interesting conversation. I think I would definitely side with Burrow, but um like in, in between Burrow and Wilson, somewhere in that range. I don't have my ranks done at all. So it's hard for me to say. But yeah, I, I'd be interested in taking him as my QB one next year. And over Burrow, that's that's bold, but I can understand because of the dual threat ability from Hertz. Uh, last topic of the day before we close this podcast out, which NFL players will have bounce back fantasy seasons? And I have three guys on my list that we're going to go in depth with player by player. I'm going to start off with Michael Thomas. He hasn't played in basically two years. And soon as Sean Payton left, he automatically came on and was like, I am ready to be a saint again, which further um, highlighted my perspective on why he wasn't playing with the team. I thought it was because him and Sean were beefing. And I think a lot of it had to do with Sean elevating and promoting 
Taysom Hill as being QB one of the future, I think Thomas recognized he cannot coexist productively with Taysom Hill throwing the football. So he's back. It sounds like the Saints want to bang back James Winston as well. So if Winston's back in the fold and Thomas is back in the fold, I think MT can kind of get back into that top 10 fantasy wide receiver realm again. Are you just as high on Michael Thomas heading into uh, another season where he's going to be, I think, 28 or 29? Do you think he can get back into fantasy elite territory as a wide receiver? Um. I honestly just missed the news about Michael Thomas wanting to be back with the Saints. I didn't hear about that at all. Um, but that could also just be like, I, I don't know. That's really interesting having just learned about it. But um, I I don't know. It all depends on where he is. It, it's kind of like the Allen Robinson thing. If a team really pays up for him, which I think is totally a possibility, I'd be pretty interested. Um Last time we saw him, he was amazing. So no reason he can't do that again. We haven't seen him be bad necessarily. We've just seen him be injured and then literally not play. So if a team pays up for him, I'd be pretty in on him. If he, I don't know, if he waits till like the end of the offseason sign and signs like a one-year $17 million deal, I would be really hesitant. I, I I mean, I never thought he was that special. I just kind of felt like I had to accept that, like, okay, this guy is putting up historic numbers. You've got to just kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. But I don't know. After the past two seasons, I'm a little scared of him. But if he goes somewhere with a big contract, a lot of that fear goes away. So definitely a possibility that, he could be a really great value come the draft day. Yeah, well, I think – I don't want you to quote me on this. I think he has two years left on his deal. So we know for sure he's going to be a Saint this, oh, ups, right. this this coming season. Now, if it doesn't pan out for the Saints, whether uh, they underperform and they want to start the rebuild next year, because right now the Saints are talking as if they want to compete again this year, and they're doing all that they can to be under the cap to make that happen. Then maybe Thomas can go somewhere else – before he hits 30, he'll probably be a trade asset for next season. But um, the season coming up, he's going to be the guy. And it sounds like Jameis Winston wants to still be here. So we saw what Thomas was able to do with a declining Drew Brees. Winston's arm strength is still there. So that opens up a variety of route concepts that Thomas can run. And I'll also open up a variety of pass catching opportunities that he will have. So it opens the door for him to be able to be wide receiver 10 and up in the fantasy realm. But it, like you said, it really comes down to who is the quarterback for the Saints. We can assume Jameis is coming back, but if he doesn't and the Saints have to roll with a rookie quarterback next year, that changes things. Now, it may not change things for Thomas because a rookie quarterback will always lean on his safety valve, and in that offensive system, Michael Thomas will be the safety valve. But it really does come down to who is going to be that pass team quarterback for them week one for New Orleans. Yeah. I also just think that Jameis Winston is terrible um, and not even much of an upgrade over any rookie quarterback. So basically, regardless of who's there, as long as he's on the Saints, I'd be out. I I don't want any part of that offense at all. After last year, I, I don't blame you. Now, Winston had a career year in terms of not turning the ball over, but it was pretty clear Sean was doing all that he could to kind of constrict what he was able to do offensively in terms of putting the yeah. ball in the air. He also, he ways. also, he also had a career year in terms of being terrible. So like, sure. He didn't throw interceptions, but like he was not good at all. He, and he also didn't even start for most of the season. Like he only started seven games. He had a thousand yards. I mean, that pro rates out to about like, 2300 ish he had like 14 touchdowns that's actually pretty solid but remember he had like four or five in week one so that's pretty lopsided um not turning the ball over that was good um he did a good job there but i don't know he's i just think he's kind of terrible (laughs) and which is fair which is fair for you to say and he's also coming off of a torn acl that's why he wasn't able to play all those games to end the year. Um, somebody else that might have a 
much higher ceiling than Michael Thomas because new coaching staff, and we all know what he can capably do. Justin Fields, he was QB 31 last year, but I expect with his new offensive coordinator in the helm, um, the Green Bay Packers, I think former receiving coach, um, they're going to use his legs. They're going to provide more weapons than Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet to at least allow Fields to have a Jalen Hurts type fantasy season. Do you agree with that potential projection? And are you high on Fields next year due to the fact that Matt Nagy isn't there anymore and that they're going to go out of the way to make sure Fields is successful in Chicago. Yeah, I like Fields a lot and I still do and I will. Um, I barely ever draft like backup quarterbacks in hopes of them breaking out. But let's say I take Russell Wilson. I would love to have Justin Fields on that team too. Um, Towards the end of the year, those final two games, especially the one um, against Green Bay, and I guess the one, it, hold on, where was it? There, there was one game. I forget who it was against. Maybe it was Pittsburgh. I don't know. He Pis- had a Pittsburgh, game. It was, yeah, Pittsburgh was his best game. So, yeah, as a pro, he he had a game, and it was like, wow, maybe he's not terrible. And I remember it was the game where Matt Nagy had COVID and wasn't coaching. So, uh, maybe that was a preview of what's to come. And then he kind of followed it up, looking good, but not really putting up stats. And then same thing from there on out like his stats were not great for basically any part of the season um but once he's kind of figured things out in that game where Nagy was out to COVID he looked good and I can see him being like a top 10 quarterback I'm really high on him I don't want him as my starter in fantasy but um he's definitely a pretty decent player and could make a huge leap because I, I just think he's a good player. Like it's that simple. He's talented as you can imagine. Like he's really good. I think. Well, Mac Jones was obviously by far the most successful rookie quarterback in his class. Justin Fields showed the most flashes and we all can agree. The reason why it just wasn't consistently there is he was never the full-time starter in Matt Nagy's offense. And then when he was, it looked like Nagy was going out of his way to, I'm going to just say it's self-sabotage, man. So it's good to see a new offensive system there within Chicago that will ultimately surround fields with players and maximize his skill set to the utmost degree. Uh, I think he'd have a Jalen Hurst type season. And obviously I agree. I don't think he will be um, for sure QB one starter on anybody's fantasy team right now, but year two can open the door to that being a possibility down the line in his career. Uh, last player before we wrap up the pod, Gabriel Davis, who more than likely be wide receiver two in Buffalo because Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders are headed out the door this offseason. They're not going to re-sign Manuel. And I think yesterday Buffalo said that they are letting Cole Beasley um, kind of pursue a team he wants to be traded to. Uh, so Gabe had four 10-plus fantasy point outings this past season, but his divisional round showcase against Kansas City showcased why this third-year talent opposite of Stephon Diggs can prosper this year since the form will draw his usual bracket coverage. I was high on Gabriel Davis in real life, um, but I didn't want to take him in fantasy last season because I just didn't know if he was going to be that go-to guy off of what I heard in training camp in Buffalo. They liked Emmanuel Sanders. And if Cole Beasley wasn't, you know, such an anti-vaxxer stickler, he was going to be the face of their offense in the slot. So now with those guys gone, I'm more comfortable entertaining Gabe Davis in fantasy this season. Do you agree as well? I like him. I would take him at about, let's say, pick 70. That sounds about right. Um, I think that he might be valued a little too highly because of that one playoff game. However, I mean, it was a really good game, like historic. And it, it a lot of it was because of just blown calls by kansas city but he also had that one play where he just shook that corner um and there were several plays like that throughout the season that kind of got overlooked not not to that extent because that was like insane but he's a good route runner he's tall he has good hands he's fast he's really fast um i think he's a pretty good wideout, and on the bills that could be really exciting yeah, he's he's more than just a deep threat. I think coming out of UCF, everybody thought of him as a deep threat, but I knew he possessed a wide receiver acumen as a complete route runner to be more than that. And in Buffalo, when 
Tyron Matthew was out of the game and Josh Allen was kind of forced to carry the offense. He looked for Gabe Davis, considering the fact that Kansas City went out of the way to bracket Stephon Diggs and it worked. So I think Davis as the two, he'll be showcased even more. I think he'll probably have that breakout year that everybody will remember in fantasy. And it's because his role is enhanced. He'll get more targets because I don't feel like Stephon Diggs will ever replicate what he did his first year in Buffalo. He's getting older. I think teams recognize he is a bona fide one. So they're going to treat him as a one where occasionally throughout the week, he may have a breakout game, but for the most part, he'll get bracket covered and he'll be a decoy that opening up for the twos and the threes. So if Buffalo is able to keep Isaiah McKenzie and Gabe Davis gets a promotion, I think those are the guys that will probably have more consistent breakout matchups in fantasy than Stephon Dix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I just think that um, in terms of what the market's going to value them, I think a lot of like fantasy analysts are going to say, yeah, Gabe Davis, he's fine, but we're just, I mean, he's just being valued highly because of this one playoff game. And I just disagree with that. I think he's good. Um, obviously it's not at all realistic to hope that every game is like that 200 yard playoff game, but yeah, even heading into last year, I had him ranked as almost a top 100 player. So I was in on him, and then he impressed me throughout the season. Definitely started getting more volume down the stretch, and it really, um, that end of this, that the playoff game really just capped it off. Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I'm not going to pick him because of that playoff game. I mean, that playoff game validated why I liked him as a pro prospect coming out of UCF, but I'm going to pick him because I always knew with the limited volume that he had, he had talent. And so now that volume will be elevated because he'll be wide receiver too. And I think that will allow him to be the ultimate breakout candidate in fantasy next year. Uh, this is it for episode 45 of the Independence of Podcast. It was great to have my guy Jordan Eisen on here to talk fantasy. Um, before I go, um, Jordan, you're talking about how you're in baseball mode. How has that been considering the fact that baseball – could potentially be canceled this year. I don't think it will be, but you know, the strikes going on, how has that really changed your thought process as a fantasy analyst preparing for a season that you don't know will start in MLB? Yeah. First of all, it's not a strike. It's a lockout, which is just something that I feel the need to clarify. The players are not choosing for this to happen. It is the owners and Rob Manfred, who is an idiot. Um, They're just pretty much in a battle of leverage and, if the C- if uh, the owners and the commissioner, Rob Manfred, said the season's going to start on this day, what leverage do they have? The players are just going to play and make money. And then if the players lower their offer so that they can start playing, then they lose their leverage too. Um, so that's just to clarify to your audience, that's what's happening. Um, in terms of what I'm doing, it's an interesting question. I don't really know. I'm just kind of going to Um, I'm acting like the season's going to start on time, even though it's already been delayed. Um, I just have my schedule all slated out like it's going to start on time. And then from April 1st on till till whenever the season actually does start, I don't know what I'm going to do, frankly. I will probably have a mock draft, maybe dive in deeper on some uh, baseball games, maybe have a couple football episodes, um, talk about the draft a little bit, because that's kind of at the same time. So there's definitely stuff to talk about, but I have no idea how to approach it right now, because literally no one knows when the season will start. (laughs) So as a curious onlooker, do you tell your viewers or listeners rather to draft at the same time? Like, conduct your fantasy process as if the season's going to start on time or do you have to be on pause and wait just to see for sure where it all falls in a court yeah you always it just like typically with no lockout in a normal season you always draft like one or two weeks before the start of the season um so yeah do the same thing um eventually hopefully (laughs) they're gonna set a date who knows when, maybe it'll be in May, maybe it'll be in April, who knows, but a date will be set and then feel free so plan your uh, drafts accordingly and start drafting like a week or two before the season, because like, even though the season's going to be delayed, there's still going to be spring training and a lot of stuff happens in spring training, whether it's injuries, 
or breakouts or guys who are clearly too old and throwing slower than they should. A lot of stuff changes in spring training and you don't want to draft before that or your team's going to get all messed up. So definitely just wait for a date to be, to be set and then draft a couple weeks before the season starts. Great insight, Jordan. Great insight indeed. Um, I'll be back next week um, for a podcast more than likely centered around the NFL draft. The combine's going on, and as that draft process uh, slowly approaches to the draft date on April 28th, it will be of definite entry. But always great to have Jordan on. Always great to talk fantasy football. Like I said before, I'll be back next week. This is your host, Kimbo Ibomani. So long.